With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
And good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM uh, in Carborough and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm L.A. Bachelor, your host, and hoping you had a good day wherever you are listening. You could have been doing anything else and you decided to join us. We really appreciate you. The number to get in touch with us is uh, 646-929-0130. Uh, to reach us for questions and comments, concerns. You can listen online at Blog Talk. Of course, the chat chat room is open there for comments as well. Pad Nation on Facebook, Pad Nation 2, that's the number two on Twitter, and uh, LA Bachelor on Instagram as well. We're on Facebook Live now uh, if you want to catch us there. I want to bring in my first guest. Always good to have him on. He is a media personality, a motivational speaker, and a community activist, something that we desperately need in all these communities now. He is Dr. Lee Bell, and Doc, I hope all is well with you and you and your family, sir. Well, L.A., it's as good as can be expected under the circumstances. Amen to that. You ain't lying. Uh, what about with you and your what, family? Everybody's good. Thanks for asking. Very, very good. Like you said, as as expected, and uh, certainly we wish um, good things and prayers out to those who've gone through this hurricane uh, that hit the Gulf Coast, coast and just wreaked lots of havoc down there. So we hope all of will be well for those folks down there. Um, yeah. Speaking of well. I want to go in a few different places, but the most important one as it relates to you and your place is the uh, the uh, Flint water murders, uh, a.k.a. crisis there in Flint, Michigan. Um, the announcement came that there was a big settlement for those who were part of this civil lawsuit against the the state. Can you talk about that, and is this realistic money? In other words, you know, are they going to appeal? And you know how appeals are, with especially rich people who don't want to give up money or admit any guilt. Uh, are they going to appeal this thing and drag it out in court? How is it working right now? L.A., right now the state has put on the table basically as an open bid, if you will, or uh, a first offer that they will pay $600 million. The next step is for a judge to approve it. But the citizens of Flint, we're saying we're not taking $600 million. We have uh, gotten behind our former mayor when the water crisis first happened and she declared a state of emergency and she met with then-Governor Dick Snyder. She said we need a minimum of $1 billion. So they're in negotiation still. And that's just one part of this. There are several other moving parts. Yesterday, a judge said that we could also sue the federal government for their inaction. There are some more lawsuits with a couple of uh, environmental firms who failed to sound the alarm, if you will. So this thing is far from over, basically. 
So when you say federal government, uh, meaning like the EPA and and those who drop the ball, and how realistic is it for this judge to deny this? I, I know you guys said, no, this is not enough, but how much of uh, a, a real monies, if you do get the billion, will the judge approve it? We don't know uh, right now. I don't know if the judge is a Republican-leaning government uh, judge or Democrat. That can make a lot of difference, especially if it's a Republican-leaning judge. Uh, he could take the side of the former governor and some of those folks. So it's still really a crapshoot. Mm. You know, it's it's so unfortunate, and that's that's just the money part of it. And you know, the the money is is not necessarily right for the those who suffered men, mentally and physically. It's more of a uh, stick it to them type of thing. If you can't get the criminal, which we'll get to, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll get the civil. Um, but it, it, you know. Are people looking at it from that standpoint that they're certainly the billion dollars we get that, but are the attorneys just representing um, Flint, uh, the new regime? You got a Democratic governor in there now. Uh, are they looking to try to put people behind bars, namely the crooked governor that you had prior to? Well, there's been some interesting. Uh happenings around this. The governor continues to try to get out of it, but a judge has recently ruled twice that he must do depositions. So the current governor we had, when she came into office, a whole new regime came in, attorney general and the sorts, and we have been up against statute of limitations and other things. So the charges that had been brought have been thrown out. So a whole new set of investigators have been putting their eyes on the information, uh, going through materials, going through phones, emails, and things of that nature. So right now it's looking kind of shaky as to whether or not anyone will ever go to jail about the Flint water crisis. And that's one of the <laughs> other that's one of the other mantras of the activists. You know, we still want folks to be held accountable. Right. Hey, you know, Doc, I, I got to tell you, I saw I believe it was the new attorney general or I believe it was him, uh, and they were talking about the $600 million and, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And when he was posed about the criminal side and holding uh, Hershey and, I mean, Nestle and, and EPA and all these other people accountable, the, the, the governors, all his people, he kind of danced around it. You know, he gave me the answer. He gave the answer similar to what you said, well, it's a new regime. We're going to you know, we're going to go start from scratch. We're going to do our investigations. But it didn't sound, I don't know, it, it didn't sound like he really wanted to pursue this or pursue it and 
with the assumption that, you know, there won't be any success in these criminal uh, court cases. You get that from the regime, from the new um, administration there? Well, L.A., we really don't know what to think. Some days we hear some positive news, and then two days later, it's back to the same old story. Uh, I think you painted a great picture. Uh, We just do not know. One day we get good news, and then the next day our hopes are shattered again. Because you know what they say, uh, money talks and that other stuff walks. Right. And the and the former governor, I mean, yeah, the former governor, he's got quite a bit of money. Mm. It's just it just angers me. I, I don't think people realize, Doc, until it, it's almost like if you can paint a picture, like you just said, uh, paint a picture of the cruelty, the um the sadness, the the horrific things that people who have been uh, contaminated with the water and the pipes and everything else, it's almost like you have to have a a, uh, George Floyd moment where you visibly, you see somebody that drank the water and literally died for America to really get behind this. Because I feel like it's just been a Flint, uh, Michigan, fight and you got the outsiders coming in here and there and some people are helping but there's no staying power and it's not in the news and nobody seems to care other than dr lee bell and everybody else that's in the fight in that town in those counties in that state well la we have been lucky that other folks have championed our causes uh actors Alyssa milano Aaron Brockovich, uh, and the sad piece about it is that they are also fighting for other communities around this nation who have suffered similar atrocities as Flint has, but those other communities have not gotten the press that Flint has. So this that has happened to Flint is happening all over the country. And with yeah. this current with this current administration cutting back regulations, it's going to continue happening. So cutting back regulations for the sake of a dollar. Go ahead. Yes. And cutting back for the sake of a dollar is what got us in this predicament in the first place. Uh instead of putting a hundred dollars worth of chemicals in our water. Here we are, Right, we're seeking over a billion dollars in reparations, I'll call it, because not only have we been harmed physically and mentally, as you said, people have died. People have lost their homes. People have lost their appliances, washers, dryers, refrigerators, hot water, Eaters all have been destroyed by this lead in the water. And when it comes to our physical bodies, we're going on six years. Think about six years of toting cases of water 
that kills the mm. body. This is crazy. It really, it really is sad. And and like I said, you know, people. It would seem that more people would get on board and find out how they can help and and do their part. And that's where we are in this country. Um, if if they literally saw somebody dying from it, that's how I feel. But you know, I digress. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Lee Bell here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Doc, I wanted to get your thoughts on um, the DNC, the Democratic uh, National uh, Committee, their their uh, week of last week, you know, in terms of the nominations with uh, Senator Harris. I don't know if we even talked about her being uh, the vice president um, nominee on the Democratic Party. Your thoughts are not the not the ambiance, not sort of the production, but the message that the Democrats put forward. If if it was enough, are they talking enough about the candidates? Are they showing their platform? This is what we're doing. Are they laying it out to the uh, American people um, to win in November? Where I stand right now, I don't think Right now, I don't think they're really wanting to win. I mm. don't, I don't see it. I see a great move amongst the connected people, people who you know will get out and vote, people who might even get out and work on the ticket. But the folks we really need to be out on the ground working and talking to people the everyday Joe, I don't see that group being moved. And part of it is COVID, but the other part is the Democrats' lack of urgency. I just don't see them putting in the fight. Historically, we see the same thing over and over and over. They won't bring the Democratic machine into our urban centers until 30 days before the election. And that's just not enough. With this pandemic happening, we need some in-your-face real talk. It's like yesterday I heard that uh, Joe Biden spoke to uh, Jacob Blake's family. He should have addressed the nation. I mean, it's wonderful that he talked to the family. But this country, especially the minority folks, need to hear this potential presidential candidate and his vice president come out with their gloves off. We're in a real fight. It's no longer a, a fight for the soul of this country. We're in a fight for our life. Administration gets one more day than they're due. I'm asking people, how do you look in shackles and chains? If this administration gets more time, we're going to be a couple of steps closer to being back in slavery. 
He's got you know, and, yeah, and, got, and I would say, go ahead, Doc, finish up. I'm sorry. He's got the 200 judges that he's already pushed through, and they're there for a lifetime, and they're going to remind us at each and every ruling they make to stay in our place our perceived place as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I, I think I think they didn't they didn't push the narrative about um you know the not just the soul of the country like you said but uh our lives and and make a complete contrast uh between them and you know, the occupiers uh, on the right. And in fact, I think that when you you look at some of the days they had, I, you know, Michelle was awesome. You know, Michelle was totally awesome. Um, but when you look at, you know, some of the other people who, you know, presented, they just fell short. And not only that, you know, every time when – the Republicans came out with something in the midst of the uh, convention. Democrats outside of the convention need to be speakers. It's, it's almost like when, you know, whatever president does his state of the address, the state of the union, they always have the opposite party, you know, you know, have counterattack with their own. Yeah. And they didn't, they're not doing that. Uh, this guy is doing all this illegal stuff. They're very um, reactive and not proactive. You know, they find out, oh, okay, Pompeo, that's, which I'm sure they knew was going to uh, speak in Jerusalem on behalf of the president. They they wait until that is like uh, uproar in the mainstream media, and then now they want to do an investigation. So they're very like they just slow, slow step and very timid. You're right. Um, and, you know, I like Joe Biden, but even he doesn't bring it. And, you know, talking with, you know, the, the parents and family of uh, someone hurt yet another black man shot. Thank God he didn't die, but he can't walk. And actually going to see them. And then addressing the nation would have been more effective than talking about, yeah, I talked to him on the phone and this. And and they're letting, they're letting out, and I'll shut up in a minute. They're letting the Democrats, the Democrats are allowing Republicans to make them out as you see all this protesting and rioting and fighting in the streets. You know, the boogeyman, you go with this guy, that's what you're going to get. And, you know, racist suburbanites buy into it. Those who were looking for a reason to vote for this guy, he's got it right there. And there's there's the difference. You know, Democrats play checkers, Republicans play chess. Without a doubt, as Trump and company stayed on the air last week during the Democratic National Convention, the Democrats should have been doing the same thing this week, making news right. themselves. And they, yep. you know, they're not up for the fight that they're in. 
Yep. And 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 look at how they're taking away our constitutional rights, uh, which you know, and our right to vote by doing what they're doing uh, with these machines. And, and uh, you know, with Trump, all the gloves are off. They have no sense of decorum when they testify at Congress. They have no sense of respect or anything. You have this guy who is the postmaster general, no experience at all, other than lots of money to give to the Trump campaign. They asked him nicely a few times, you know, are you going to put the machines back? He says no. And that's it. Hearing over, no, you know, come back or anything. I mean, he was rude and obnoxious and pompous, just like everybody on that side. And they just kind of took it, you know, where. Well, L.A., it's really worse than what you just said. This guy, the current postmaster general. He has businesses that do the same thing as the post office. So if he kills the post office's ability to do their job, he can get contracts to do the work that the post office has lost. It's crazy. The man should not be postmaster general. Yep. And And as you say, the Democrats just let these things pile up, pile up, and pile up, and they do nothing. They seem wimpy. And, you know, they they talk about, well, you know, vote early and everything. It's, it's, it's going to be more than that. It's going to be more than that. And then as you look at the Republicans' convention, you know, that not only is for production, they are selling that thing all day. They, I mean, they have – they're obviously lying. But they're they're pushing that boogeyman stuff so hard that you know, and they have their state-sponsored TV who's got to show all the rioting and all that stuff. You put it together, and you have you have those Republicans that, like I said, were um, wanting to and looking to vote for him either now, I mean, either a second time or a first time, and some independents, you know. It's all, it's, you know, white folks already have in their mind that they they want to do this anyway. And, oh, by the way, I think you said this, you know, they they want to preserve their race because they're not producing, you know, kids as much as a rate as others. You know, this, they, they're so afraid because this country's going brown, right? And so they're going to do what they need to do, Doc, as you know, within their power, there you go, that word, um, to preserve their their way of life. It's a, I call it nah, new age apartheid. And, of course, apartheid itself is when the few rule the many. Right. And I don't know what it's going to take for our people to wake up. We're going to wake up. And be South Africa. Right yep. now, we have we have the numbers on our side to retake this country and work towards that more perfect union. Right to be progressive, to provide medical assistance to every individual that wants it. Because I'm for 
I like Medicare for all who want it. But if a person needs medical care, they should be entitled to it. Instead of giving all the tax breaks and all the money to the folks at the top, spread it around. There's more than enough to go around. That's right. If you're just joining us, we'll talk with Dr. Lee Bell here on WCOM. Uh, Chapel Hill and the Baxter News Radio uh, Network. Doc, you know, one of the biggest hypocrisies and code words is what this, and Mike, Mike Pence looks like a child molester. I'm sorry, he looks really weird. He looks like a fraud and a liar. And I'm sorry, people may not like that, but he just looks the part. Um for him to say and for him and his boss to say, you know, we're going to restore law and order. We know what that means, Doc. We know what law and order means. We're going to keep we're going to keep these black and brown people in place. They're not talking about we want justice. They want law and order. They want to bang us upside the head. They want to keep redlining us. They want to keep discriminating in housing and everything else and jobs and everything. That's their law and order. And they dump a, a ton of uh, Gestapo clan type officers in our neighborhoods to get that law and order by any means necessary. So when they say law and order, we know what they mean. We say justice. We want justice. You know, well, equality, uh, 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 justice under the law. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Who's the biggest crook in this country? The president. The, so how exactly. can we legitimately talk about law and order? Right. What yep. the Republicans have been putting up this week during their convention is smoke and mirrors without the smoke. You can see what they're doing. You can see what they're about. Yep. When it comes to this administration, I say, if he says look to the left, you look to the right. They promised a rosy convention, no doom and gloom. And what did Pence do last night? Basically doom and gloom. Yeah, people people have to wake up and start looking at what's before us. But you know That's, the 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 biggest thing we need to realize, you know, Doc, when it comes to equal justice under the law, that includes um, policing. Is it just happened this week? You have a young man who tries to break up a fight with two women. Um, they chal- the, the officers, two of them that I saw, challenge him. He goes to his car. They allege, now they want to allege he had a knife and whatever so they could save for their fear for his life. Shoot this man seven times in the back, unarmed, all, three of his babies in the car, and and he damn near died. And then two nights after... This vigilante, this white supremacist who is a Trump supporter, 17-year-old kid, goes down the street, goes down the way, doesn't even live in that neighborhood, shoots and kills two people, wounds another, and then proceeds to put his hands up walking by police. They're ignoring him. He got a long shotgun type of uh, weapon on. He should say, hey, hey, I did it. And, and, and people yelling, hey, man, he just shot these people. They're telling them. 
and they not only didn't did not only drove by. It wasn't until one of the cops in the cars got startled and told him to back up. Then they took him in peacefully, not in the hospital with wounds, not dead on the street, not nothing, peacefully. I mean, that's all you got to look at right there. And 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 these white folks to talk about law and order. Well, why do you got to burn this? Why you got to do that? Why do? What do you want? I mean. It's it's just ridiculous. That's the part that angers me, and that's the part that we have to get energized around. We have to get engaged around that kind of stuff. Well, L.A., it's all smoke and mirrors. Most of those who are doing the burning and looting are interlopers. They're federal agents or federally paid people. There may be a few people from the neighborhood, but there are professional folks making this look bad, making it look worse than it is. I mean, even in the Chicago incidences a couple weeks ago, uh, when there was burning and looting on the, I believe they call it the Miracle Mile. Uh Uh-huh. They are sending, and when I said they, it's governmental bodies. It's a replay of Richard Nixon's pre-election season. Yeah. Where they can talk about law and order because they're out there making it look like it's the community looting and burning. A young lady who works for Al Sharpton, uh, she's down in the Atlanta area. She said, all you have to do when you're in the midst of these protests and everything, look at the shoes that people are wearing. The cops wear special shoes or a specific kind of shoes, and those are the shoes they're seeing by some of the protesters. It's the same old playbook. Now, you may have some folks from the neighborhood who are gullible enough that if they see somebody breaking something, burning or looting, they may join. But if those interlopers were not there in the first place, a lot of this violence would not be happening. But also, we have to go back to Dr. King. He says that riots are the voices of the people who are unheard. Unheard. That's right. But they won't quote that, though, Doc. They won't quote that. They won't. They won't. That's just too. That's just too. Makes too much more sense, and it's against them. They'll quote everything. I have a dream, and everything else. You know, and peace, and this and that. But they won't quote, and they just like they won't quote. You know how he. Um, talked about the the moderates being, you know, the 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 danger to us, moderate uh, whites, and uh, the being that, and the liberals, absolutely. Um, but it's just it's just uh, amazing. I was talking to someone earlier, Doc, and you know he was making the point of how, you know, well in these cities. You know, the mayors are allowing this to happen because they want, you know, 
rioting and, and everything else. Um, and why do they have to do that? And I said, listen, let me tell you something real quick. I said, first thing, um, uh, uh, white America wants, wants their cake and eat it. We can't do anything right. All, uh, by the way, all we want is the, our fair share and, and, and equal rights under law, civil rights, human rights, everything they have. Because, by the way, the only the only people that think they're Americans is white people. They call themselves Americans. Everybody else is black, brown, Puerto Rican, whatever the case may be. But they're Americans. They're the only ones think that they can be calling themselves that. But we're black. We're not American. But the point is, is that, you know, when I went and told them, listen, at some point, if someone keeps punching you in, upside your head, some point you're going to turn around and swing. You're going to fight back. Captain Obvious is, like you said, nobody is uh, condoning violence or rioting or any any of those things. I said, but at the same time, A, you can't tell someone how to protest. B, you can't say that it's the... Uh, the, the neighborhood people, like you said, that's causing the rioting and, and looting and and see, you know, your president, I'm saying that it's him, your president sent in troops to, quote unquote, you know, restore law and order. In other words, to bang heads. And like you said, you got the secret law enforcement out there, too. And I said, you know, and, and then he made a case of, well, you know. Presidents have been doing that all the time. I said, yeah, but this president sent them in to protect the uh, the federal buildings and monuments. He didn't send them in there to help anybody. So let's be clear about that. And he sent them in there because he was hoping black and brown people get killed. But they, they just have no – they live in their own bubble. Like they just refuse, whether it's racism or anything else, refuse to see outside of their little zone. Just like I told them, you want you want kids and your president to send kids to school. You want people to go back to work, but your ass is staying home. You retired. Your kids are grown. So you guys don't have to worry about it. Some of us do. And, and that's, the, that's the issue. They just they don't want to get it. They can't get it, Doc. I just, it's just one of those things where, like I said, by any means necessary. I, I'm not condoning any violence or anything like that, but I'm just saying, you know. Well, well, you know, L.A., it's when, when you come to white people, and I, I use that term as a political term, you can operate in white privilege and you're privileged not to truly pay attention to what's going on. And I say that right now to represent what goes on. I mean, every Monday now we do Moral Monday with Reverend William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And each and every Monday, we've been doing a digital march on Mitch McConnell's offices, shutting down his mm. switchboards and such. There are so many people, white people in Kentucky, who are on these poor people campaigns calls 
talking about the devastation in Kentucky caused in large measure by Mitch McConnell and his antics withholding over 200-something bills that have already been passed by the House of Representatives. But yet and still, these people elected Mitch McConnell, and this is a representative form of government. So these folks will elect Mitch McConnell to do their dirty work, figuring it will hurt us, but not them. But in Kentucky, these people finally see he's killing them as well as us. Yep. So they elect certain kinds of people to go to Congress, do their dirty work, while they live in the suburbs with boats, snowmobiles, and all of those things, while the legislators, the lawmakers, put laws in place, for instance, here in Michigan, we have in the urban centers, we have the highest auto insurance in the country. Mm. A white family can have four or five vehicles insured, plus a boat, a snowmobile, and their cabin up north, for what I pay for one car. Mm. And that's because of laws that have been passed by the people that they elect. Redlining is still illegal, but it happens yep. every day. Every where day. I live. So the white people are not as innocent as they claim to be. They know they benefit from white privilege and racism. Right. And they look they they look for a reason to 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 divert from the um a diversion from the real core issues out there. So they look for, you know, rioting and stuff, but then they don't you know, they don't want to hear is is some outside people coming in and and law enforcement. It, they'll believe their conspiracy uh, theories, but won't believe that. Oh no, this is America. You know, this whole flag and stuff is just disgusting. Let me ask you um, finally about the the stance that uh, started with the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, and and went on with other playoff games in the NBA and in baseball canceled theirs for the day. Soccer, uh, the WNBA did the same thing. Uh, apparently the NBA is going to play at some point this weekend. Um, I, I guess the challenge is in the news, making a stance, taking a stance, doing something like this, um, you know, it's it's going to be reported. It eventually will get to people and people will make their mind, people meaning, you know, whether they're NBA or sports fans or not, making their mind up on how effective it is. But my question to you is, if they decided, well, we're not going to play any more games, we're just going to scratch the season, no playoff games, no champion, we're just shutting it down, and then they go 
about their merry way and maybe in their communities they're still protesting and doing other things, but as a group they're not in the news. Is it more effective to do it that way, to just shut it down or continue to take a stand here or speak about it after a game, before a game, getting on with reporters, you know, tweeting, that type of thing? You know, L.A., what happened yesterday was great. I wish it could have been a sustained action. Right. It was historic in nature. I believe when I go back to Colin Kaepernick and his kneeling campaign, it was much bigger than what it seemed to be, and it still ha- it's still having ripple effects today. What I saw yesterday, I call sports power. The athletes and some entertainers stepped out, made a great statement. And I think it got a lot of people's attention that would not have otherwise paid attention to what's going on. And what Colin did four years ago, I believe that is as monumental as the Montgomery bus boycott. Economically, if it's played right, it could have that kind of effect. I believe the athletes have to continue to keep this movement alive by keeping it in front of our faces. And I don't mean our faces really because it's always in our faces, but the face of America. We are in such a time that the direction of this country can be changed right now if the people are willing to make it a time of change. We lose you, Doc. Uh, I'm still here. I think we lost Dr. Uh, Lee Bell. We're going to try to get him back on, finish up what he had to say on the Bastion News Radio Show.
Welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Back to uh, Dr. Lee Bell, back on the line, sir. Um, you were saying. Yes, I believe if we can marry the energy of the Black Lives Movement with this get-out-the-vote effort that we're embarking on, I believe we are on the precipice of a great change in this country. But it's going to take all of us. And even after the November election, we need people to stay engaged and stay involved in what goes on in our communities as well as what's going on in the country. Yeah, we and like you said, we have to call certain things and certain people out for for what it is. Because, it, it, you know, the, and I'll let you go, Doc, but the, one of the, the biggest issues I find is that black, white, whomever, are uncomfortable about talking about race. They don't want to be at the water cooler at their job and some shooting comes on and then they're looking at white folks, white folks looking at them. It's just uncomfortable for them. They're uncomfortable and they're scanned with it. They don't want to talk about that racism really exists. And, And I find a lot of us that don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. They, they want to stay in their zone, in their bubble. They want to go do their nine-to-five job. They don't want to go outside. They don't want any waves. Just keep it right down the middle. I, my kids are fine. I got a job, got my house. I'm fine. And, and that's that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems right there. Yeah, LA, and when you mention that, it brings me to a situation I had uh, right before 9-11 happened. I was... Uh, facilitating some race discussions with members of the community and our community health department. Mm -hmm. And the uh, CEO of the health department mandated his employees to come to my workshops. There is a white lady nurse who worked in the health department. She was in the workshop. I worked with her in the community. She came to a lot of my community meetings. Well, this first day of the workshop, she's holding her stomach all hunched over like she's in pain, and she says, I don't want to talk about race or racism. Now, this was within Mm. the first 15 minutes of the workshop, L.A., and all we were doing were doing introductions. And this nurse worked in our urban community. Her husband was a city of Flint police officer. What happens a lot of times when you put white folks and black folks in the same space to talk about race, black folks will get emotional because this is an emotional issue for us. We were the ones who were sold off, who were beaten, who were maimed, who were killed. We are the ones who are treated differently when we pull out our credit cards. We are the ones who are treated differently when we go to the bank seeking a loan. It's our children who are mistreated in schools because of who they are. 
So I understand black folks being emotional when we're talking about racism. And white folks have to get over wanting to talk. If we don't talk about it, we won't get anywhere. They have to own up to their privilege. And that's all it is. It's privilege. Somebody has decided that they could go to the front of the line just because of their skin color. Yep. And And we often... I I guess the optimism is... The optimism, Doc, would be that we have some of our, you know, white uh, brothers and sisters that want to get into uh, the real protesting. Um, You know, it's going to be, it's always strength in numbers with us, but you add in different elements and different people, um, that, that helps a lot more than, you know, just us fighting for us, if that makes any sense. It does, and it's ludicrous to me that black and brown people continue, and even poor white people continue to be stomped on. If we're work, if we're working towards a more perfect union, it makes more sense if everyone is allowed to participate and bring their talents to the table. Right. It'll get us to that more perfect union quicker because it takes a lot of energy and time for you to keep your foot on my neck. If your foot That's is right. on my neck, if your foot is on my neck, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay there to keep it there. So you're holding us both back. That's right. Mm. Real talk. Real you talk. know, LA, I, you know, I referred back to the racism workshops I was doing. The uh, CEO of the health department called me in to talk to me. He said, I'm getting a lot of complaints about the workshops. I said, well, what are the complaints? Well, the people don't want to be there. I said, of course, but I'm going to continue because each and every week I win two or three of your workers over. They finally get it. So I'm not going to stop. I'm going to forge ahead because if I can convert two or three people a week, that means progress is being made. That's right. You're absolutely right. Doc, as always, sir, I appreciate your time. Um, Continued success and keep doing what you're doing. We we need you. Um, And we appreciate you as always, sir. Well, thank you, L.A., and thank you for being a supporter of not only uh, my actions, but also keeping the Flint water crisis uh, visible. Absolutely. Thank you. you. Love you, Doc. Be careful. Okay. Love you, too, L.A. Thank you. Dr. Lee Bell, of course, a motivational speaker, media personality, community activist, always active uh, and, and fighting uh, to make the wrongs become right and flint and all over, um, a champion of, of justice and, and a champion uh, of, of the people. 
We really appreciate him. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show.
Welcome back to the show. It's L.A. Bachelors, the Bachelor News radio show on WCOM in Chapel Hill, Carborough, and, of course, uh, the Bachelor News radio network. It's L.A. Bachelors, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Hit us up on uh, Facebook at Pad Nation and Pad Nation 2 at Twitter as well. I want to go back to the phones and bring in my guest. Of course, he is the um, executive director of the National Sports Media Association. He is Dave Gorin. And Dave, uh, as always, hope all is well with you and your kids and wife and dogs and everybody else under the sun. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. Everything is, is great. And I uh, hope the same for you guys. Just trying to decide whether my son's going to stay in Raleigh, even though can't be on campus at State. But yet he's in our apartment, <laughs> so he's trying to decide what to do. Oh, decisions, decisions, decisions. Well, I'll tell you. That's right. Um, I want to take a look, of course, uh, obviously the, the Canes um, ran into that buzzsaw called the uh, Boston Bruins, your team, your other team, I guess, right? Um, you know, after game one, you know, they, they made a nice comeback in game two, and I believe that they shot the shots on goal. They had 12 or 13 more shots on goal than Boston. What did they – did they get ahead of themselves going into game three after tying the series? Because from there on, it seems like they were a little out of sync in terms of what they like to do. Yeah, I mean – I give credit to the Bruins because they played defense all over the ice. Great forecheck, great back check. Canes were not really able to get a lot, um, a lot of pucks into the center of the of the ice in the offensive zone. And you know, obviously losing Sveshnikov hurt a great deal. Um, you know, don't forget they're playing without Pesci. But then again, you could say the Bruins were playing out playing without their. Uh, Backstop goalie took a rest the last three games. So uh, I, I just, for some reason, I just don't think they match up well with Boston. The Bruins right. are, are stronger. I, you know, usually the Kings have the speed advantage against a lot of teams, but the Bruins are fast too. Uh, they never seem to be able to keep track of uh, Marchand. And, you know, the Bruins have some good players though, so you, know, you have to give them credit. Yeah, Bergeron and those guys. You know, the the thing that I I I thought was even down two one, I thought game four was theirs. I mean, I know they they had them and they just fell apart, of course, in the uh the third period, up three three one, I think the three oh. Um uh at the time, you know, they didn't waste uh i mean they shot a lot of uh uh took a lot of shots more than the bruins but they made those mistakes and you like you said the bruins are are disciplined they beat you up um and their speed was there was game four that tough loss after being up really sort of sealed the deal for them in game five well i don't know i you you never like to say that the previous game beat you in the next game um so I don't know that I would say that. And, you know, there's, uh, as I found out by playing at the lowest level of recreational hockey, um, one game doesn't necessarily carry over to the next. Sometimes you're going to have momentum and sometimes it'll just disappear. So you have to, I mean, you have to crank it out, 
crank it up on a game-by-game basis, and Canes just weren't able to do that those last couple of games. Yeah, it's, it's, right. And and one of the other things I thought it, you said this um, going into this series. Uh, no, I mean to close out the last series that you know get out there early, score early. Um, uh-huh. and, and get that momentum going. They did that for the most part in those earlier games, but um, struggled, of course, and uh, even in game five, they were up after one period. Um, how significant was that against them, not to, uh, it, it, you know, to get that lead early and really stay on the offense? I thought in one of the games, I can't remember which one, they, they got a little passive. It might have been even game three. Uh, they got a little passive and, and allowed the Bruins to get back in it. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, I don't know what it is. You know, if they score first or they get up two goals, they don't keep they don't keep charging. You know, you have to. As I think it was Cedric Maxwell's famous line was, "You got to step on their necks when you get them down." And for right. whatever reason, they couldn't do that against the Bruins. Um, you know, Boston was stronger on the puck, faster to the puck. Uh, just seemed like the Hurricanes were a step off the whole the whole series, really. Yeah, I agree. We'll talk with uh, Dave Gorin, of course, here on the Bastard News Radio Show on the Bastard News Radio Network and WCOM and Chapel Hill. Um, what about these Bruins? I mean, they they look good now. I know Tampa won uh, yesterday, uh, a couple of days ago, um, but. You know, what about this, this Bruins team? What do you see? Do you see them to be, you know, the, the favorite to to get to the Stanley Cup Finals? I don't know. It's, you know. it's just such a weird season with that you know, three months off or four months off, whatever that was, and then come back and you, know, you have eight teams playing basically a play-in round and the others playing a round-robin for seeding and then – now, here you are in the next round after that, and so it's been really weird for me. And you know, I was so upset that the Hurricanes look so bad. I haven't watched a second of hockey since. Actually, I might have watched a couple couple seconds of the Flyers Islanders the other night. But you know, those two teams are good, and you know, uh, heart for the Flyers is having that Cam Ward type playoff series, and. Right. You know, we, we've talked about the hot goalie many times before, and he might be it. Um, but, you know, Boston, all, all four of the teams that are, that are left are, I think, really good and, and could possibly win a Stanley Cup. So, you know, whoever, as I just said, cranks it up on a nightly basis and maybe has to get a Can, little luck because we've talked about that too. Right, and I hope, uh, I hope Bruins, they, they feel like um, – Game three was, you know, one that they could just throw out the window after, you know, Tampa lit them up for seven. Um, And and that brings me to a point that you thought with all the months off that they would be off. But the series, to me, have been good. And the scoring is up. And I know how you feel about um, the the game and being fluid and, and stuff. But, I mean, the Canucks have been scoring a lot. Tampa put up. The Avalanche have been scoring a lot of points. Even the Flyers have. And, uh, you know, they're notoriously over their history been sort of a grinded-out type of uh, team. What, what about the scoring? Are you surprised at all the scoring that's been going on uh, in the playoffs? Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes. 
some games you had it, some you didn't. I think the, the pace has been pretty good for, for the games I've seen. Um, and then you get teams, you know, like Vancouver and Colorado and Vegas, all of them can move the puck. So um, I, I guess I'd say I'm not surprised by it. Yeah. It is um, a sight to see um, uh, in in the West, and I've often thought their style was was a lot faster, right? Those Vancouver teams and um, you know uh, those type of teams that that move the puck really fast, they get up and down. Uh, do you see a difference in in the uh, East and West this year, and even uh, a trend? Um, because again, you know the old Bruins, the old Flyers, even the uh, the the Canes, you know they'd beat you two to one on just about every other night. Um, and you see scoring up on that side. Do you think that the East is kind of catching up with the West in terms of that type of style of play? Well, I think the the really good teams are the ones that can play both styles, and. I think all four teams in the East can do that. Um, not really sure. I, I, I honestly have not seen enough of the West. I really like Colorado, though. I mean, if, yeah. If, if you watch the Avalanche and don't have a great appreciation of talking about speed, Nathan McKinnon, I mean, he's just fun to watch. And, you know, if if you don't get a body on him, he'll be around you and uh, – you know, in the slot before you know it. So, you know, they have some guys who can move, and I like the way I like the way they play. I need to I need to watch more of them. Right. Talk with Dave Gorn here on the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network. Um, obviously, the NHL suspended their games um, for Thursday and Friday. I'm not sure about the weekend, but definitely Thursday and Friday, um, and solidarity, if you will, over the shooting in Wisconsin and, you know, a bigger picture in the the brutality of black and brown people uh, by police. Um, started with the Milwaukee Bucks, went all the way through the NBA. Baseball canceled their three or four games, the WNBA, soccer, and, of course, the NHL. Uh, is this historic? Just not just yesterday, but the, the, the other days ahead. Now they're doing more than one day. Have you ever seen this anything in your your career as a broadcaster? And 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 in terms of, uh, I mean, this is this is it. Some people say bigger, um, you know, because it's incorporating all these different sports than '68 with Mr. Carlos and the the fists in the air. You know Jesse Owens and and the Olympics with Hitler there. I mean, it just seems like it's this bigger than than any other time in sports to make a social statement. Well, I think there's much more of a social consciousness these days. Um, you know, don't forget in '68 we had every TV market had three or four or five stations max, and every game wasn't on TV, but you know, the Olympics obviously are a huge deal and, and draw a lot of viewership. Um, but at that point in, in the country's history, we're still in the middle of the Vietnam War. Um, you know, if you think race relations are bad now, wind the clock back 42 years or 52 years. Um, 
I mean, believe me, they were worse then. The the, the sad part is they haven't. It, it hasn't been. If you'll watch my air quotes, it hasn't been cured yet. Right. Uh, and there's still. I mean, there's still obviously a lot of work to be done, and. You know, even even the younger generation today that is so socially conscious, it's not going to be solved in their lifetime. It, this is a, an ongoing issue. It is not something that we're going to snap our fingers and say, okay, um, everyone's smart enough to know that we're all created equal and we should all treat each other equally. Um, so the thing I'm interested to see is how much good will this these walkouts or sit-outs or boycotts, whatever you want to call it, how, how, good, how much good will they do? And that's up for debate. I mean, the, the people that you need to reach aren't necessarily the ones that want to be reached. I mean, you have to, you have, to have an open heart, an open mind, and open arms to, to dig into this issue, and some people don't. I mean, they have closed hearts, closed minds, and, and closed arms and you know for me it's all about education you just have to keep educating people and you know I could say well I, I like it I like to do it this way and I'm smart enough to know that the way I like it isn't necessarily the way everybody else likes it so there are different ways to get the message across and as I said I'm interested to see how well this message is received and gets across. I was uh, listening to Bob Costas, a man in the Hall of Famer, you know, um, and he was talking about what is better is that the, 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 the debate is if, you know, you know, the pro sports just say, okay, we're shutting it down. No Stanley Cup champion, no NBA champion, no World Series champion, no anything. Or, um, they play and continue to talk in the locker rooms, talk before the games, get on TV, whatever, and do it that way. So they're still playing, um, and they're still kind of in the public eye on TV and Twitter and everything else. What do you think is the best way to go? I don't know, honestly. I don't know. It's And part of me says I don't know if people – you know, there are a lot of people who don't care about sports. It, it took yeah. me a while as somebody whose entire life was wrapped around sports to realize that. And one of the things right. I learned when you do, when you're a local TV sports anchor and your bosses tell you at most 20% Two of minutes. the audience cares about watching <laughs> sports. Yeah. A minute and a half for you. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but you realize that it's a big, wide world out there. We have more than 300 million people in this country, and they don't all care about sports. So, for a lot of people, that that all the protests and all all the everything that's going on, all the social movements are are in a vacuum for a hundred million or so who who don't care. Um, so that's I mean I think you have to take that into into mind when you're when you're talking about all this and discussing it rationally. So you know it may no mm. it may do no good whatsoever. Or it may it may separate people further. Well, we don't know that. As I said, the people who don't want to hear it just dig their heels in further a lot. 
But I think it's easier for people that don't follow sports to take a stance against it rather than the other way. Because sports, Absolutely like you said, is. is such a yeah, such is such a small. You're right. We you know we we love sports, and then you get around family and friends like, well, I don't I don't want to see anybody dribble a ball or hockey. What is that? You know that type of thing is amazing. Right. But if it, it sometimes though, if they if they take a real drastic change, it's it can bring change. It's going to bring a lot of hate. You know, Laura Ingram telling mm-hmm. LeBron to just shut up and dribble the ball. Um, but the the stance is impactful. Does it? Do you think that maybe it would be stronger since everybody doesn't watch sports, like you said, if every great player or great a handful of great players in each sport came out and made this stance? In other words, LeBron is is getting pretty close to global, I would say. And, and people like him and baseball and hockey and F Brady and football, if they came out and did it like that, would it be more impactful than collectively just a bunch of teams coming out and saying, we're not going to do this? Maybe, but you also have to take into account that there are a lot of people, a lot of NBA fans don't like LeBron because he's not on their team. And so right. they have to be, you have to be the bigger person and say, well, this is more important than that, than my fandom. You know, my fandom of humanity is more important than my fandom of my team because I hate LeBron because he doesn't play for them. Um, right. You know, every, every, you know, I think part of the issue today is that people don't like being told what to do. Yeah, exactly. And we went, Thank you. We, we went from, we went from a society where up through into the 1960s that everyone was told what to do. And then there was, you know, the era of freedom and free love and free everything. And um, you can't tell me what to do. And now there's a little bit of pushback from the other side. I mean, there's always been some, but if I, you know, if I don't agree with you on one issue then I hate everything you're about is, is kind of what it's like today. And I think, not to get too much into politics, but I think that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump won the 2016 election was there was a, this feeling that you people telling me what to do are smug. And, <laughs> and, and, and even elitist. though I might not vote for him to the an elitist and um, you know, I'm just a good old, good old, Average American hot dog, baseball, apple pie, Chevy driving person who uses common sense, and you know I have faith in my religion, etc. And you're you're just banging on me, and I've had enough. And I think right. what happened was that there was a lot of smug wiped off a lot of people's faces four years ago. Now now we'll see yeah. if that pendulum has swung enough to the other side. We'll find out in a few months. Yeah. Final question, or second final question for you, Dave. Talk with Dave Gorin here on the pad. Um, when you look at a sport like hockey, I've been watching hockey and following hockey. The old New Haven Nighthawks back in the day, yeah. my hometown, at the Coliseum there, you know, knowing, getting to know the GM there. That they saw the Kings play because they were the minor league team for the for the Kings and and loving the game of hockey. Um, 
but but obviously there's not a lot of people that look like me in the game that love the game, whether they're in the mm-hmm. game or watch the game. Certainly, um, Canadians of all colors are watching. That's you know that's their sport, right? And certainly here in right. the cold places, yeah. we got that too. Love the Hartford Whalers. So. Would a movement like this specifically for the NHL to take a stand, and I, and I give them big props, um, they've been getting it right, by the way. We've been praising the, the NHL and the bubble and how they did it. Bettman doesn't get a lot of credit. He should get it in this case. It, would a movement like this help bring uh, people of color to the game because of the hockey players deciding, look, this is the right thing to do. We're going to stand up for rights stand up for what is right um, and it it's, makes it more attractive to people to say, hmm, let me give this sport a, a, a second look. That's a good question. Um, I hope so. I, I think what, and we've talked about it several times about people of color becoming fans of hockey. I think what it'll take in some cases is having friends who are people of color or not bring friends who are people of color to games and expose them to it you know you you and I know what a great game it is and I mean I'd have I'd have trouble thinking that anyone who attends a game especially a National Hockey League game doesn't believe saying this is the best sport ever right I mean wow (laughs) your taste and my taste are not everyone's else everyone else's taste so yeah yeah, I mean that's a, a a great point, and I I think I think we always talk about it, T and I, and then everybody talk about the uh, if nothing else, if you don't catch regular season, you should, so you can kind of get a feel with everybody. But the the NHL playoffs is the best playoffs going. I I love the root for the underdog, unless they're beating my Penguins. But other than that, I love the root for the underdogs. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's something worth um, so sort of looking into. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Roughly, who okay. do you think is going to be in the Stanley Cup uh, championship? Uh, you said you know Boston is good, but you know Philly is good, and I'm go- and I'm uh, Tampa's Philly, good. Philly, Colorado. I'm going Philly, Colorado. Wow, why Philly, Colorado? I just I just have a good feeling about Hart being that goal, that goalie having the hot streak, and I think Colorado might be the best and most skilled team in the league. Yeah, you're probably so right. They're both going to get hot at the right time. We'll see. I'm not. I'm, I, I, I'm usually right, so we'll see. It, it, yeah, you were right last year when you said my penguin was a little so. You're definitely right about that last year. Um, it'd be interesting to, uh, to see the styles of play there. And you're right, a hot goalie can make the difference, but but we'll see. Dave, as always, my friend, I appreciate your time, your insights, always uh, very profound. We'll get to get you on down the road. Thank you so much, sir. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on, and uh, stay safe, my friend. You do the same. All righty. Dave Gilgoyne, of course, uh, the executive director of the National Sports Media Association on the Bastion News Radio Show and the Bastion News Radio Network.
that. Uh, you know, it, what stands out to me is um, just just watching the Republican uh, convention, and this they're spewing this fear, right? Like all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like, I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We got to do better. Uh, but we got to demand better. Like, we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits, they go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard. Like, just keep watching it. That video, if, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You, don't, you need to be American and outraged. And how dare the Republicans talk about fear, we're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every, to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Thank you. Wow. Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line. Top of the hour, you lose the live feed, so you need to get in. Chat room is open for your questions and, and comments there. Um, you just heard an excerpt from Doc Rivers before a game. Uh, they played NBA playoff game. Um, exhausted. Not because the game, not because he's yelling and screaming at his players and getting all excited. Just exhausted. Like every black person 
who understands what's going on in this country. I think, well, I'm going to hold my, my thoughts, um, my, the rest of my thoughts to myself. Uh, I want to bring in Mike Patton. Of course, he is a writer for the three-point conversion, the Nashville Voice, and other outlets. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yes, sir. Tony T. Mac McLean, Big O. Uh, Orlando Hughes on the line too. They have some questions, but um, first of all, and I know, uh, and I listened to part of it, um, Mike. You you were um, interviewed about being black, and from I can't wait to finish up what you had to say, but it was very profound. But talk about the frustration, the the anger, the sadness, and and just the tired, the tiredness of what you heard in Doc Rivers, and how it resonates, and it it we fit, have that same feeling. And talk about you personally, as you did in that interview as a black man. Well, uh, you know, uh, listening to the speech that Doc said, it definitely hit home. Uh, you know, my dad never had to have that speech with me. My dad actually was a police officer officer for 30-plus years. And he's even disgusted with how things are right now. And he's, he's not a police officer anymore. He's retired. But, um, you know, when he was speaking, I felt the pain in his voice. Because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, you see this each. It, 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 it happens quite often. And it's, it's frustrating that we always have to act a certain way or somebody's got to find a way to talk about, well, he shouldn't have did this or he shouldn't have did that. He shouldn't have did this. I mean, what do they want us to do, uh, play Simon Says, hop along on one leg around in a circle to not get shot? I mean, what do they want? It's just, it's just frustrating to continually have to explain why these things happen and people – look at you in your face and tell you, well, no, it had to happen because of this. It had to happen because of that and not believe you. You know, it, it's just frustrating. And, you know, my experience, I was in college. Uh, I was going to my car and I fumbled my car keys. I was fumbling my car keys. Car goes past me. I didn't really, you know, I was like, well, okay, then, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to that. Look up, three car, uh, cop cars around my car, and I'm still fumbling my keys or whatever. And it wouldn't have been for a friend said, hey, 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 that's his car. That's his car. He's just trying to get in his car. That's his car. That uh, and that could have been a way worse situation. I mean, I, I probably could uh, There's a you know, the potential that I could, could have not been here today with that. So, you know, it's just, you know, it, 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 it's just hard to explain to people or try to explain to people. That's why in some instances I've, I've just stopped trying to explain to people because they've already got – some people have already got it made up in their minds that, oh, he had to do something or he deserved this because of things he's done in his past. I mean, I've never heard of any so many dead people or people that have been shot or arrested or harmed or whatever have to defend themselves. So many black people have to defend themselves over things that they may have done in their past. But, yeah, I find it hilarious that they can defend and talk about how such a good person uh, some people can that our president is, despite all the crazy and crappy things he's done, and, and especially not apologizing to the Central Park Five. That's huge. And trying to put them in jail as kids. 
and didn't even know any of the truth to the story. So it's just, it just it just pisses me off, and I'm tired of having to feel this way. And honestly, it's been hard not to snap on somebody for the last few days. And illegal things that that man occupying the White House has done, not just what you said, but I'll add in illegal. And he talks about, it's so ironic uh, and hypocritical, I, sh- I should say, that he talks about law and order. And let's be clear, we know what law and order means when they say it, but it's, it's, it's hypocritical for him to talk about law and order, and he, he's cheated. He's had people around him that's gone to jail for lying and cheating. Um, and, you know, but I guess that doesn't that law and that order doesn't apply to him. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on yesterday, uh, a big day, and I just say what you want, people, and a lot of white people say it about the NBA, but the NBA that okay, you're not going to have everybody like LeBron out there and speaking, but they always are at the far forefront when it comes to these social, these consciousness type of uh, discussions and, and issues. And the Milwaukee Bucks, led by someone who's not even from this country but looks like us, right, he's the team, team captain and everything, to decide to step out on faith and show, listen, we need, if they're not going to respect us on the street, we're not going to give them love on the court. We're not going to entertain them if they're going to kill us because once we take these uniforms off, and cops know it too, black cops know it too, they got the uniform on or off, you still a nigga. You are a nigga once you leave the court. We we go way back, Mike, as you know, the history, T and Orlando. Bill Russell would be the, the, the celebration on the court on the marquee floor in Boston, but could not live in, in a nice neighborhood in Boston. They wouldn't let him. And nothing has changed. They want they they don't mind killing us and raping our women and stuff. Some things they they talk about us, but they love to see us entertainment. That's why I said, and I'm getting I'm gonna go back to you, Mike. I said, dominating sports, athletically and as smart as we are and gifted we are, could probably be the worst thing could that could have happened to our 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 race, because back in the day they had the fiddler. Fiddler made made them smile, and they drinking and doing all crazy stuff. They entertain them then. We're doing it now. And so yesterday was historic for me. It was profound because they said, if you're not going to respect us, you're going to kill us off the court. We ain't giving you no love on the court. And it's as simple as that. Baseball and everything, all them follow suit. So talk about yesterday, what it meant to you, and should they – the, the the poll question I had out there, should they continue? Obviously, they're not going to play some time this weekend or whatever, all the sports. But should they have gone even further um, and shut it down or continue to do these things, talk in the media, talk after the game, before the game, press conference, and make their feelings known? Um, honestly, when I saw that, I was very moved. And then when I started hearing the speeches, I mean, I, I definitely got a little emotional hearing the speeches, not only That's of right. the NBA players, but the WNBA players. Let's not forget the WNBA oh, yeah. players. Before Absolutely. the NBA players were even, were even stepping out and saying, making statements and things like that, the WNBA players have been doing it from the beginning. 
They have been yep. leading in the forefront from that from the beginning. So please don't forget them. Because they and they got a lot more to lose, too, because they don't make as right. much money. They got a lot more to lose. Yep, you're right. That's right. So they should definitely be commended. They should definitely be talked about as the forefront because, you know, people are saying that the WNBA is taking, from, is taking the lead from the NBA. No, no. I think the NBA is taking the lead from the WNBA. I think we've got it backwards. But, um, you know, it definitely was an emotional day. Definitely was great to see people take a stand for what they believed in. And, you know, definitely was, uh, I mean, definitely was an emotional day for me in terms of watching it. And, you know, I, I definitely had tears well up my eye because I was like, man, finally we're seeing something, we're seeing something historic happen. Um, as far as playing, again, I know the NBA is going to play either Friday or Saturday. Um, at first, I mean, honestly, I, I thought, no, no, they really shouldn't. You know, honestly, my honest opinion is they, they really shouldn't play again. They could take it take it further um, as well. But then you also think about the other aspects of it as well as, uh, you know, you think about the CBA. Essentially, if they didn't complete this season, you're looking at CBA getting ripped up. You're looking at the players losing 8 to 10% potentially of the power that they've worked over the last 10 years to, to uh, accumulate. They're the only, you know, they're the only league pretty much that gets, you know, the players get a higher percentage than the actual owners. So if the lockout would have happened, basically what would have happened is a lockout would have been coming because a new CBA would have been negotiated because the players would have broke the agreement. Um, then from there, of course, you know, you, you probably got a lockout. Then, um, a new deal gets negotiated and the players lose significant amounts of money, if not, you know, more than what they could have. Now they're still probably going to lose money just because of the pandemic, but they're not going to lose quite as much as what they would have if they would have not played. So that's where it kind of, the issues come about. Unfortunately, you know, all of those are all clustered into one thing. Um, honestly, I, I I would have taken a stand and probably walked out anyway, but it's t- easy for me to say because it's not my money. That's what a lot of people got to understand. It's easy for you to say, but right. it's not your money. Not you know. Right, right, and, and that that I totally agree with that. You know, at the end of the day, you, it's about you know your family first, community second, right? So you want to make sure that you you know, and people go, well, they're making it no, but. No, you're right. They have to make sure that they take care of that money first. You know, the quicker they can make that money, the quicker they can retire, and they even have more um, skin in the game where they can. They don't have to worry about that. And by the way, if the owners really, the Mark Cubans of the world, really were down, then I, let's see them be down. But, you know, one of the things is a lot of those owners – are good friends with that guy who occupies the White House. And now, now I'm not just saying NBA. We're talking across the board with all these other owners. So we know they, they're they all talk. The players are doing the right thing, and I appreciate it. I want to go to Tony T. Mac McLean. We're talking with Mike Patton, an exceptional a writer, sports writer, a three-point conversion, Nashville a voice, and other media outlets on the uh, – the Bachelor News Radio Show, 646-929-0130. If you're not on the line by the top of the hour, wherever you're listening, you're going to lose the live feed, so you need to dial in. Uh, the chat room is open. So I go from one exceptional, outstanding writer to another. 
longtime friend and co-host and colleague, Tony T. Mac McClain. And T, before you ask the questions, if you can answer how that... You really got to stop that. You really got to stop that. Hey, I'm just speaking (laughs) the truth. Listen, uh, give your thoughts before you ask uh, Mike questions about how Doc Rivers made you feel and the players yesterday. I'm, 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 I think all of us collectively are just as tired as uh, Doc is, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. You know, you could feel, you know, that the thing that I'm always reminded of with all of this is that could have been Mike, that could have been me, that could have been Orlando, that could have been you, um, you know, there, there, there for the grace of God. And you know, I, I'm sort of where Mike is. I, I I don't feel like I have to explain or have to justify my life to people who already dislike me just for the color of my skin. Um, I, I know what I've said this several times. When I was younger, I would always try to let people understand where I was coming from as a black man. But then you had um all these other incidents from 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 back in the day and leading leading up to now and there is no there is no change you know i saw you know dominic you know dominic smith last night you know yeah man for for his heart and see that's 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 like the second time i've seen him do that because he had the there was an interview he did with uh SNY uh, beginning of the season, and you know, now Dominic is a he's um he's from Compton, he's from Compton, Cal. Right. Cal. So he's you know he has seen some things over the years that 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 we have only read about or experienced or, or have only you know whatever. But um, I'm just it's 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 very it's very tiring. It's very very tiring, and she. I'm a I'm kind of a person where, you know, I look at the history of things, and I just wanted to ask Mike, you know, I don't want to go too long-winded, but um, when I heard that uh, that ball-headed guy from the Bronx was uh, was 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 uh, was part of the quote-unquote negotiations today, I couldn't help but think of Jackie Robinson and Jesse Owens being sent to the 1968 Olympics to quote-unquote calm all those Negroes down there. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, I I get it that they, you know, they, they, I guess they've decided to come back uh, for now. Um, The spin that they're putting on this is that um, quote-unquote LeBron had to be, had to have his mind changed and all this other stuff. But um, it's, you know, did you know? I don't think they lost any momentum by being by by saying that they are going to come back. But um, you know, I, I guess the question. This is I just I'm asking it to Mike, but I guess it's a sort of a collective question. Um, will anything? I, I, I'm just I'm just afraid that nothing will come out of this. That's that's the only thing that 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 I, that I am afraid of with this. I think um, that I I I I think it was you know I, I was definitely 
a historic day yesterday. I mean, I, I think the I think the fact that it literally came four years to the day that uh, Kaepernick uh, took the knee was was you know that's that's just you know I don't I'm, I'm not one to get biblical, but that's just God, you know. That's 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 just God, you know, looking down on 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 some of us and and what have you. But did, you know, now that they've in a sense, I don't want to say back down, but now that they've in a sense said that they are going to go back, did they lose? Do you feel like they lost momentum because of the because of this? I honestly don't think they've lost momentum. I think there's some people that are some fans and some uh, journalists that may, you know, they may have a little bit of a bone to pick with them at this point, feel like they should have went further, things like that. But ultimately, I think those will understand in terms of, you know, everything else and eventually come back to it. Um, But one thing that did come out of it that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, Andre Iguodala and LeBron James were actually – wanting the owners to be more active and involved. Right. That mm-hmm. was one thing that they were talking about. And, you know, that's one thing that they wanted. And what do you know, now they're ha- now the owners are having meetings talking about what they can do to be involved. Now, sure. I will say yeah. this. I think Mark Cuban has been the most uh, on-point owner when, when it comes to talking or anything like that. He's been the most on-point owner because I actually watched his interview on Roland Martin's show, mm-hmm. and he's been the most on, he's been the most on-point owner of any of the owners that are out there that's talking or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the the thing is, there's a lot of different other owners that would like to be silent and not talk and anything like right. that. But mm-hmm. you know, essentially, those days are over because the players are, have looked at them and like, okay, cool, you're not going to say anything. Well, this is what we need to happen, or else we're gonna sit down. So I think that was the big change that happened uh, when that meeting got scheduled between the owners to try to figure out what they can do to kind of support their players, besides letting them, you know, express themselves. I think that's when I think the tide turned for them to actually go back to the bubble. Consider, I mean, to, to consider staying in the bubble. That is the the biggest thing. If that wouldn't have happened, I think they would still be talking about sitting down and not playing or potentially going home. Oh, okay. Mm. Thanks. And you know, uh, it's 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 so sad, but no surprising, as I go to uh, Orlando Hughes, Big O, that um, Mark Cuban actually had to defend the protesting and everything. On the other side was Herschel Walker. Now Herschel Walker, I've never been a fan of. Um, he's a, he's a he's a black country boy, a black redneck. And he showed his true redneckish, if you want to call it, um, by not only going after Cuban, but also um, joining the uh, the production that's going on this week with the occupier. Um, but it just it's it's just sad. It, 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 but we got a lot, a lot of Herschel Walkers, as we've seen if you watch the RNC stuff. A lot of Herschel Walkers, Orlando, uh, in our race anyway. Uh, what say you? And uh, you could ask questions to Mike. First of all, some stuff to the fellows. Hope that everyone is doing well. Um, and when you talk about, he has to be loyal to Donald. Um, 
his original mess because uh, he gave him a lot of money to play for the New Jersey Generals back in the day. Right. So he's going to uh, do his performance as the original Uncle Ruckus. So I'm not surprised by him nor his actions. Um, uh, you heard his son? Uh, Have you heard his son talk? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I'm, not, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not surprised. I've, I've, I've actually sat next to Herschel Walker uh, on a plane from L.A. to Dallas, and, um, you know, he's a, he's a different breed. Um, not my <laughs> not my take, nor my style, but he's entitled to be what he wants to be because he sees things through a jaded lens. And although he's a country boy, uh, you know, he had an opportunity to play in Minnesota. He played in Philadelphia played for the New York Giants. So he got to see things from perspective. So, you know, to say country, he saw the real, uh, in the real cities. But, you know. Well, I didn't say, he's a redneck is what, he's a redneck. He acts like a redneck. Yeah. Is a, and so you you can you can you can sugar you know dress it up. He's a redneck. He's a black no, redneck. Sugar, you know that's what he is. Up anything, so I, I'm not that person for sure. Uh, but he is who he is. But I, I guess my and you you elaborated in the illness that the the players um, they had to come back because they were going to lose that money. And they were going to lose the momentum. While I wanted to walk out and to stay, it would have shot in the foot. Um, and and um, can you talk a little bit more about what you may have heard between uh, the the LeBron James camp and the, the Milwaukee Bucks, because everything that I'm hearing from them is no one knew what the Bucks were going to do. Like and when it when the Bucks did what they did, um, they kind of caught everyone by surprise, and necessarily it wasn't a good surprise. Well, um, hmm. one thing I, I will say is yes, it definitely caught everyone by surprise, and yes, everyone was probably like, "What the heck's going on?" I think they were more uh, like, "Okay, you couldn't have given us heads up, let us know what was going on, so we could all kind of coordinate everything together." I think that was kind of more of the bigger thing. But, you know, of course, when they went into the meeting, uh, essentially they were, uh, they were kind of, they were, they, they were, they were questioned. They were the first ones questioned when they got in there. I will, I will tell you that. But uh, after that got out of the way, you know, they did what they had to do, said what they had to say. Um, essentially LeBron uh, said his piece, said what he felt. The Lakers and the Clippers voted not to play. Uh, people kept on talking. The 28 other teams, I mean, not 28 other teams, but the, the other teams that were there in the bubble decided they wanted to play. Lakers and Clippers walk out together. That's essentially what happened. Got it. Um, okay. So, you know, that, that's essentially what happened. I will say this, that, you know, this, this is going to shock some people, but Kawhi Leonard was actually talking in this meeting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard and LeBron, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James spoke as the leaders of their teams in the in the, in the, in this meeting, and they literally both the LA teams walked out together, just like that. But 
I gotta commend these young brothers. I mean, and young sisters, uh, and, and the the uh, the the group that is MLS soccer uh, and what they've done. Um, it, it stepped up to the plate. I'm, I'm disappointed in baseball, uh, and I heard T go off on that one. Um, he and I were talking in uh, uh, and, and, and hockey, but I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with MLS soccer. Um, and I, I understand what the Lakers are doing, but you know, is it? Do you really think we're going to finish this season? I, I know they're coming back for two games, but with the thing that the the orangutan is saying, with the love for the kid with the the rifle, that's what has me kind of all baffled because. He was allowed to go back to his house and sleep in his own bed when Tamir Rice was playing cops and robbers in the park and got shot in less than 10 seconds. Um, I don't see the season finishing, man. And and, and I I can't wait to see what's going to happen with the NFL. I'll say this. uh, I'll see the season. I see the season finishing. Uh, The reason why I see the season finishing is because uh, if anything happens, It'll be the owners making the decision to, to not to not finish the season, not the players. Because if the owners make that decision, then the players are off the hook. They keep the money, the, the CBA stays in line, and everything goes status quo in terms of the money. Uh, as far as the NFL, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, you know, I will say this: um, right now, you, you had nine teams that didn't practice today. Today, one of those teams was the Tennessee Titans. They issued a joint statement today with uh, Kevin Byard and Ryan Tannehill being the two pieces front and center, you know, one offense, one defense, and literally the entire team behind them. So that was a big statement. Then you have Mike Vrabel that actually made a statement today talking about how – I can't remember which player he talked about, but uh, he talked about having tenant windows and was a player on his team, a black player, uh, said, no, I had to think about that, you know, with tenant windows. And he was like, you know, Mike Verbal was thinking about, well, I don't really think about that because I just go get tenant windows and things like that. He doesn't think about those things. Either. You know, he was thinking about those are things that black people have to think about and have to go over before they just decide, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he didn't never think about those things. So I would say a lot of coaches are, are saying some interesting things. Uh, I will say this. That coach in Tampa Bay, he said something interesting today. I don't know if you all heard it. Did y'all hear uh, uh, Arians talk Who's about Who's Arians? No. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he actually I, I, said, uh, I he, did said not. Uh, he said basically that protests do nothing. That's what he basically said. He said that protests basically do nothing. Basically what he said in a, in a, in a handful of words. He, what he could have, should have, and should have added to that was, Protests don't do anything if you don't put action behind it. Is what he should have said, but now it sounds really crazy. <laughs> what he said, he was the only coach to kind of come out and just say that, and that was it. And said he's been protesting '66, and they don't do anything. And I was like, I was like, Bruce Arians, this is the worst time for you to get on your soapbox about that. Worst, absolute worst. Well, time. but you but, but see, but see, Mike, here's the thing. You got to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been telling this mm-hmm. to folks. What what we're what we're ha- what we're seeing now to me is sort of uh, okay. People are gonna let you know what side they're on. Mm-hmm. 
or they're going to let you know exactly. where they're coming from. Because, see, we're in a climate, because, see, this is the only thing I acknowledge the, um, you know, 45 on. He is emboldened his followers. Thank you. And folks, and folks who say they're not his followers, but are literally in the corner clapping their hands. So, and see, the thing is, I go back to Aaron, I go, not, I'm sorry, I go back to uh, Drew Brees. Drew Brees doubled down on his thing. He was given the opportunity to pull back and think about it, but no, he went, he led with his face, repeated every word he said, and only backed off when he realized how far, you know, the, the, the shit piled up on him. I give no, mm-hmm. I give no quarter to Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians told you exactly where he felt. And at some point he may probably back, but see, you get, as far as I'm concerned, and this is the thing we need to do and say, you get one chance to get it right. Because see, we're not even given that, we're not even given that uh, opportunity to be given the one chance to get it right. These white folks get one chance to get it right, and they go out of their way to let you know where they stand. So no, no. Bruce Arians showed his inner redneck, and that's how I'm going to take Bruce Arians to the day he dies. And with all of these folks that make their statements, I'm not going to, I, I am not going to, well, you need to understand. No, no, no. Because while, those, while they were pumping those seven shots in Mr. Blake's back, he was not, he was not given a quarter. He was not given a thing. He was not, he was not given any, any quarter. It was kill him, kill him, kill him. And that's the thing we have to understand here. They want and, to see us dead. And, and, you know, just like that, and he had his babies and, you know, we all got kids. T's got, you know, nieces and nephews. We all had no babies, right? He's got his kids in there, and, and they pumped seven bullets in his back. Philando Castillo, the same thing. His girlfriend and baby in the car shooting him. And and to T, Tony's point, uh, Mike, with with uh, them being emboldened, this this guy occupying the White House, you just just listen, and you know that's why you're getting angry and upset too. You know what they say. There, there's no shame. They're just saying it. They're letting you know we hate you. That's why I said with the law and order, we know what that cold those cold words are. Red line, dump a bunch of bad police in the neighborhood and keep the niggas in check. That's what it's about, law and order. Not not uh, equal justice under the law, but law and order. We're going to bang you upside the head and kill you if we have to to keep you in order. That's our law, and that's the order we're going to give. And that's what he's pushing. He's pushing this hate. And if Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians is no different than Joe Blow, white guy, that's at a Trump uh, you know, rally saying the same thing. He He's like, yeah, I said it, you know. Protests don't work. Now what? What are you going to do, fire me? No. I'm not going anywhere. I'm Bruce Arians, bitch. You know, like Rick James. You know, that type of thing. And and they're, they're very emboldened. They are emboldened to, to the end. Um, 
uh, Mike, I want to ask you the the back to the NBA with the Clippers and the Lakers. There was a story out, and I lost it, and you know better than I that said that the Lakers and the Clippers had decided they were not going to play at all. Bump the rest of the league. They weren't going to play. Was there any truth to that? And if so, was it ball-headed dude, as T said, jumped in and negotiated, or, or what happened there? Because they, I heard reports that it was the Lakers and the Clippers said, look, we're not playing the rest of this year. Uh, I would say this. When they went to bed last night, it, it probably was a, a hard fact. But, uh, you know, or when they left the meeting, I would say that probably was a hard fact that they probably wouldn't be playing or would think about going home as a team. Um, I would say, however, other things changed. Um, I think, you know, maybe because you you also remember Chris Paul and uh, LeBron James are very, very, very good friends. So, you know, they probably yelled and called at each other over the phone and did whatever and, you know, work things out. So so Chris probably probably wanted to play and LeBron didn't is what you're saying, you think? Well, I would say this. Chris is in a tough position. <laughs> he's in a very He tough really position. is. He's, yeah, he's the player. He, he's the player. He's he doesn't yeah, play position ahead. Yeah. Because a lot of people are giving him a lot of hell today. A lot of people I know are giving him a lot of hell. Because basically they're listening to his statements, and then they go back and, oh, he wants to play? So why does he want to play? And then this is, you know, stuff like that. He's like, he's talking on both sides of his name. A lot of people were looking at it that way as opposed to thinking that, He's got to do all that for 300 and 370 players. He's got to look out for it. He can't just make his own decision and be like, okay, then cool, this is what we're running with. He can't do that because, you know, he's making $40 million. He'll be okay. But then what about the players <laughs> making $2 million a year? So, or $1 million a year or anything like that and living check to check. And I had a friend that uh, writes for uh, SI.com, actually. Me and him were having a discussion this morning. And uh, he actually was pointing out a few different things that, you know, we were talking about, like, you know, he's basically talking about different things that he saw that he's like, yeah, you know, you got to understand that, unfortunately, they have to do this. They have to do this, you know, and Chris Paul's in a horrible position because he's got his personal beliefs and he's got the interest of the league as well. And with Kyrie being the vice president of the MVPA, he didn't necessarily make him look any better either mm-hmm. with, with this statement. I'm not saying Kyrie was wrong. I'm just saying with his statement, it didn't make anything easier for Chris Paul. Yeah, it's got to be. In, 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 in this instance, you're right. He, he's a, it's a tough way to go because the owners are going to look like the owners, but the players, that, that decision is, you know, and as Tony said, America – is Sports America wanted the NBA to fail in any way. So if they didn't play, you know, this is the Michael Vick effect all over again. Oh, you know, they they don't respect the game and this, that, and they're all paid too much money and all that kind of stuff was coming. I'm sure a lot of that type of stuff may have played into some of the decisions, but it, it is what it is. Let me ask you this before you go, and I'm going to ask T and Orlando the same questions. That You know, there are – sports that um, are popular and don't have people that look like us, forget the fact that 
you know, uh, in the front office and ownership, but just on the perspective field of court, um, you know, Major League Baseball has a lot of brown folks, but not a lot of black folks. Uh, hockey, not a lot of either one. So all of these, these two sports in particular joined in in this boycott for the day. And I know hockey won't be playing until Saturday or something like that. Do you think that this type of boycott would would draw some of us to that sport based on the fact that some of the players have taken this this stance um, in a sport that doesn't have people that look like us at all? Um, honestly, I, I, it, I don't know if it will because, you know, baseball is still going to be baseball. They're still going to have one of the worst, uh, uh, one of the worst uh, commissioners in sports. Uh, hockey is still going to be hockey. Some people still trying to understand it. I've, I've tried my best, and I'm still kind of try, but doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to always want to watch it. Uh, I mean, other sports are trying, but you know, I think it resonates harder. It's kind of like with the movie that's an original movie, and then you see the sequel. The sequel doesn't resonate as hard as the original always does. So that's why I'm thinking, okay, you're going to try, and some people may go off and look at these other sports, but I don't think the Resonance is as strong as it is the original statement. So that's where mm. I, I kind of lie with that one. Uh, by the way, um, like I was mentioning to you about uh, the uh, players wanting owners to be more proactive, that's what uh, Sham, uh, Sham's actually just tweeted that out, that in the NBA players' owner meetings, players challenge owners to be proactive, not reactive to social justice changes, create actions, not simply financial commitments. So basically they want the owners to come out the shadows is essentially what, mm. what I get. And mm, now, that, now that, the owners are having meetings. The owners are having meetings now, and that's where Michael Jordan is coming into play because Michael Jordan essentially came out of the shadows and made a statement and talked about it. So I think he's not only is he doing the go, being the go-between between both sides, but the other reason is because he actually came out of the shadows and talked himself this year unlike any other owners in the in the NBA. So that's mm. why I think he another reason why he's probably the go between. Mm. Well, they they need to come out of the shadows. I I definitely agree with that. What what when they come out and what it looks like we don't know but but I'll digress. Uh, um Mike, let people know how they can follow you and if they uh, I'm looking at the uh, un- uncomfortable conversations which is spot on when it comes to the race, um, the the interview you did. Uh, but let people know how they can reach out to you, sir. You can find me on Twitter at MikePatton82. Uh, of course, you can always check me out on uh, Three Point Conversion, uh, contributing there. Uh, also, Nashville Voice, uh, which is uh, voicenashville.com. Uh, I got a few things in line there. Uh, talk a little bit more about the Fisk University president. I don't know if you heard or not, but he has been uh, let go by Fisk University due to the allegations. So That's right, uh, and we didn't get a chance to talk about that. I saw that article, yep. Yeah, he's been let go because of the allegations, and uh, I don't know what else is planned or what's going on, but, you know, I will say this. You know, it's bad that he got in trouble, and I'm not trying to condone anything he did. I want everyone to know that. But 
what I am going to say is, you know, they are in better position to uh, carry on after him him being gone than they were before he got there because the last two years he raised $21.5 million for that school. Mm. And also the enrollment has been going up the last the last few years. So he's done a few things that are actually, if whoever comes in has got something to build upon as opposed to start from scratch. Yeah, well, is it, hopefully he's not in the Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, <laughs> trouble. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God, these religious folks are just a funny now, boy. But. Now, now, if you read this story, if you read the story of what all the guy allegedly said happened, I would say his story is probably a little bit more wilder than the guy at Liberty. Wow. Then that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, you story got, is crazy. I mean, you've got payback story. You've got payback. You've got drugs. You've got a literally, you know, threats. You've got everything involved all in one story when it comes to that, uh, the story of this. I mean, yeah, wow. I read it and I had to read it over again. I was like, wow, did this really happen? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if it really happened. Nobody knows that it's alleged right now, but Wow, I was just—I read it and I was—I was just shocked. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, some crazy stuff out there. Uh, the article is on uncomfortable conversations. Get it on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. And Mike, as always, my friend, we appreciate you. I'll take care of your family, and uh, we'll talk with you next week, sir. All right, thank you. Appreciate you. Mike Patton from the Nashville Voice, Three Point Conversions. Of course, his article, um, his interview, uh, he did, it was a podcast interview on uh, um, uncomfortable conversations. You can see it on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. Uh, L.A. Bachelor alongside Tony T. Mack, McLean, Big O, Orlando Hughes. want to continue our conversation before we get out of here. Orlando, I want to go to you now. I I know T and I have talked about Paul George and peanut butter sandwich, at least for me, uh, not living up to, even in Indiana, I didn't really think he lived up to the things he, he wanted and, and uh, big ups to Nate McMillan. Hopefully he'll get a job, another job uh, speaking of Indiana. Um, But after he dropped big numbers on Dallas, he talked about, not being right, like not feeling himself and talked about in the bubble and different food and being away from your family and the stress of COVID-19. And certainly Orlando, I'm thinking the the fact that, you know, with these, you, you're watching this horrific crime and crimes take place that that has to weigh on you. So he might be sort of the, the, the figure in that, kind of uh conversation I'm having but but talk about that these these players are you know it's the NBA and they're excited it's been great playoffs to me by the way um they're in but they're isolated they're isolated because they decided to do this and but they want to be home and they they're worried about this it, I don't think that people really understand and grasp that part of it. They have to play at a high level, but yet they're still looking at the outside world and thinking about their family. And I think Paul George, that's what I took from him 
when he said in the press conference after, you know, they beat the uh, the Mavs? Listen, it's the Truman Show, the movie. They're in the bubble, uh, a fish tank, an aquarium, and all they're doing is their job, playing ball. They're not allowed to visit their family. Everything is being provided for in them. I mean, it, it is it, it is sort of a pseudo uh, mental prison, and it takes a special being to uh, to thrive in that environment. Um, and everyone can't do that. You're being away from your family for two months. You're being tested every day like a lab rat. Um, you know, uh, one of the reporters for the mouse talked about he didn't even really know uh, what was going on with regards to the two hurricanes, uh, and his folks were up there in that area. So it's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, the NBA is probably one of the better uh, leagues in how they're handling, handling it, but it's, it's mentally challenging. Is mentally challenging, and all all just because you're a player and you're on a team with with a bunch of teammates, sometimes you don't want to be a part of a team. Sometimes you want to go right. isolate and be by yourself. All right, so right. the things the things that are there, uh, you, you know, it, it it it's it's a mental break. Um, I said on another show, I felt as though it was a social experiment as to how they're going to deal with all people because. I don't believe in a vaccine that's going to happen. You know, my wife's a scientist, and, and she says you have to do studies. And how does it work in 10 people? Then you, you magnify that number. How does it work in 100? 100 to 1,000, 1,000 to 1 million. That's how you test it. And those tests, goes, those tests go on for years. She herself hmm. is working on a study, and the kid is 24 years old. I remember when the little, the little guy was four years old. And they're still studying the effects of this disease this young man had. Oh. So it, it doesn't – it's not that quick. Um, and, and Paul Joyce, yes, I, I do believe he, he's part of the Casper family. Uh, he's definitely a friendly ghost. Uh, he disappears <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> uh, quite often. But, um, again, I, I couldn't function in that environment, so – how yeah. can he? You know, like right. I'm the guy who through this COVID for me to keep my sanity, I took it and and I had to go for a drive every day. I have not spent one day in this house since the COVID thing has happened. I have not. I cannot sit there. But I so I can't imagine what one would go through because that would break me. Yeah. That would break me. And you, you know, I mean the, the mere fact of, you know, when I had my incident and to be transported from Columbus, Ohio, back to Philadelphia in a gurney facing backwards, uh, being driven by someone else, that was mental torture to me. Like it's like a nightmare, just that mere fact. So I said it to myself, I would never, ever give someone the opportunity to hold me down. Right. Right. And we know that the, the life threatening situation you were in. I, I know a lot of people don't know your story, but I do. I know Tito and, you know, what you've gone through. And that, T, I, I, I think, too, 
I, I bring that up because it also goes to the mainstream media and how they want to look for reasons for the NBA to fail. The fans that are against them because the league is predominantly black want to see them fail. And so they have this 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 weight of the world on their shoulders to to be able to perform under short circumstances. They all are, you know, short seasons. We get all that with everything. But these, these circumstances in this bubble, try to stay safe. Like Orlando said, they want to, you got to do that check every time. Check your temperature. Check this. Um, being away from your loved ones and your kids. Uh, and then see the world crashing around you more than you probably notice. Because when you were just playing and traveling and doing all that, now you're isolated and you get to see all this horror and all these sad stories and killings and stuff. One would think that it would be lots of pressure on LeBron and all these guys. I mean, really. And people and 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 the folks from the outside, oh, they're making X amount of money, so they should be able to deal with it. And and it's like you're you're you know. You're missing the point here. It, but see, again, it speaks to where we're at in this society now. I mean, remember, you got to remember, at one point during the year, you had um, people in Congress saying, "Well, it's you know, well, you know, it's better that some of our senior citizens die during the COVID. They're 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 old anyway, right? And that's the men and see that's the mentality." For a lot of things, it's like, well, you know, you're, you know, every everyone is already being judge, jury, and executioner, in 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 in, in everything, and and even with this, because see, even if you tried to play that whole, well, we need sports to uplift us and and all this other stuff, and here's what I would say to you, after the first week after the first week for hockey and after the first week of basketball when they had Buku ratings. But after that, the ratings have bottomed out. Matter of fact, they're, they're probably lower. The NBA's ratings are lower uh, than, than, than they were a, a, a year ago at this time. And I think it goes back to something that I've mentioned before in the sense of I didn't miss sports when they were gone. I mean right. – I, you know, I found other things to do. Now, sure, there were a lot of folks that were going through some withdrawal or, or what have you, but the minute that there was a hint of sports coming back, you know, all, you know, the mouse and the other entities, you know, pumped it up even more. Oh, baseball is back. Hockey is back. Basketball is back. The NFL's right around the corner. And, but that's nice. But I lost a friend to COVID nineteen. I'm having a hard time. I, you know, I got, you know, I'm behind on my bills and may lose my mortgage or I may get evicted because of COVID nineteen. And you're really going to try to tell me that all I got to do is uh, watch a, a hockey game or a baseball game and a and a basketball game? And all that's going to go away, and all that's going to make life better. Look, yes, we know 
sports is supposed to be that little outlet and everything else. But you know what? There's, 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 you know, there's other things out there besides sports. As much as we Man. love sports, as much as we, you know, we make our livelihood through it, there's other things out there. And for you to, you shouldn't have to go through a pandemic to realize that. Right. And it's, it's you know, it, you know the whole, I'm not even going to do the cliche, well, this puts things into perspective. If you need, you know, 170,000 people dying to put things in perspective, then allow me to uninsert your head from your ass. Right. And I, I think, too, Orlando, it, what I've been saying for a lot and what I think we all understand is that not only sports is a microcosm of society, but there's always been some kind of sports social consciousness clash, especially when it came to black people forever. Tony Minson, Jesse, Jesse Owens, it's, you know, running with Hitler there and in those Olympics, you know, you got the Jackie Robinsons, the Jim Browns, you got, you got all of this Smith and Carlos 68 in the midst of war and Nixon with his law and order. I mean, it's always been there. So when people go, well, just dribble the damn ball, like it, it's always been there, Orlando. It, the difference is it takes these turns uh, back and forth in decades and decades where it's not there and then it's there again. And now we're in this climate where it's there with it's in your face because Twitter's in your face, Facebook's in your great face, Instagram's in your face. So now it's there. So it's, it's, it's highly unavoidable. I'm not saying that from the athlete standpoint to do this and do that, but we, we can't even get around it. There's even our conversations about the NBA may turn into, or let's say the NFL may turn into, well, we need black owners. It's always something connected to it. And I don't understand why people don't get that. It may not be blatant all the time, but it's there, Orlando. Did we lose Orlando? Hello, I lose Gee? Okay. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you heard what I Okay. I did hear, okay. I heard what you said. The last part, I went out. The car was switching over. Um, listen, the the well, the just paradigm, saying that the, the fact that that the fact the the fact that it's just sports and social change has been going on forever, especially as it relates to us, because usually we're on the we're on the ones that are trying to bring the change to get equality anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen. We we have said this uh, an immense number of times. Every guest that you've had have talked about this, and and this is this is who we are uh, with regards to. Actually, this is the place that they want us to be in with regards to society. We are only good if we can entertain. You said Fitna, right? All we are here is to entertain. Now, they'll let us do other things, but they won't highlight those other things that we do and have done well and succeeded. But you are here to play ball. So now we have another generation 
um, that has kind of come around again. Another 35, 40 years, we have another generation that understands the importance of what their brand and what they mean to society, and that's LeBron James. Does he does, you know, does he does, uh, listen, does he does everything that he's supposed to do? No, but no one's perfect, right? But considering what he does in his collective group, and when I say he, I mean Chris Paul and everyone else that's in the league now, as opposed to what Jordan and those guys did, you know? Like, like, let me digress for a second. Kenny walking off that set at TNT, right? Shaq and Charles, although they were surprised, they should have got up and walked out with him. Yep. Right? Even if they didn't know, they should have gotten up and walked out with him. But white boy, Charles, white boy, white boy walking right, out. Right, white boy but, walking but, out. Er, right. Ernie, <laughs> Ernie understood that, and Ernie threw right. respect on it because of Ernie's father and what Ernie saw and, and being raised around Hank Aaron and the, the Milwaukee Braves and so forth. He mm-hmm. understood that. But he didn't, you know, they didn't. Charles, Charles and Shaq did not follow, right? So LeBron represents something. He's starting a school. You know, he's not, you know, oh, I'm going to piss off these people, but you know what? I, not that they open people. But she didn't start a school in the south side of Chicago. She went to Africa. You didn't need to go to Africa to start a school for girls. You could have done that right in Chicago. Mm. LeBron did that in Akron. He went back home yep. to Cleveland. It was important for him to go home to Cleveland and to bring joy to that city, that area where he's from, right? Chris Chris Paul. You know, a lot of people don't like him. A lot of he he he's the president of the league, right? He's taking Oklahoma City Thunder and and, and they're achieving things. Like you know, Kyrie, although he didn't fit in Boston, and we've already said probably the greatest player. In Celtic history, Bill Russell didn't fit in Boston. So right. what does that matter? You know, so I'm proud of these young folks. Um, I'm proud of what they're doing. Um, folks aren't going to get it. We got the dumb orangutan. And not, not that I'm excusing the orangutan. My thing is the people who vote for the orangutan. My my, my thing is, you know, you hear the, 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 the I talk to the brother pilots that, are flying and they're dealing with this in the cockpit, you know, where they're flying with the captain who's talking about what the hell is going on with this Black Lives Matter stuff, and you got to shut up because it's a work environment and it's a flight environment, you know, the pseudo racism that happens there. Like, it's all over. So when you talked earlier and you said Doc Rivers and you played that, that thing, you could feel Doc's pain in his voice. Right. But I mean, yep. Doc's pain in his voice. I had to literally talk to a pilot this morning who flew to Haiti with a redneck. And he said he took everything in me to keep my mouth shut. Everything mm. in me to keep my mouth shut and not hit this man. Because he would have been wrong. He would have been wrong. Like, think about that, brothers. You're, you're, you're a pilot, a professional pilot. But you have to sit up. You're, you're being subject to that in that environment. And, and I remember that being you flying with these white dudes that sit up there, don't even speak to you, and, and they treat you like garbage, you know, and, and the mere fact that you're sitting there next to them mean that you're more than qualified, you pass all your tests, 
You can do what you can do, and, and they treat you like ish. Luckily, Orlando's sitting next to me, so I got to be calm as to how I express myself. But, like, literally, with all that's going on today, you know, here's a brother flying, a 56-year-old man flying that they have to bite his tongue because there's only four of them in the entire company flying. Mm, mm-mm. And, and you know and what? I know that, I know that rage, and then like, it's like, when do we get a break? When do we get breaks? When do you get a break with your company and so on and so on? Do when does T get a break? Like, just allow us to breathe. Raise your kids. Raise your nieces and nephews. You don't have to have that conversation with them. I shouldn't be afraid to drive a car, another type of car. Tinted windows is my fit. I wouldn't dare put tinted windows in my car. Wouldn't dare. Wouldn't dare. Mm-hmm. And and you know what, too? T, what Orlando says, first of all, if if the brother would have if the brother would have went after the, the the pilot, he would have been in jail, under the jail, oh, uh, if he if he didn't bite his tongue. But you know what? Uh, and I get. Listen, uh, we know the 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 Johnson history with Ernie and all of them, so they know. Like you said, with with Hank Aaron, they know that. But it's just it's very telling that he he a white man walks out right, and the brothers who supposed to be in the cause and understand it that maybe taken a, a little bit are sitting there like well, not walking out. You already mm-hmm. know the the players did right, mm-hmm. and so I guess comment on that and the fact is I guess with that being said, it would would change come. More or let's say from a sports uh, a sports perspective in terms of people listening, if say Tom Brady was the face of the change, he said enough is enough. These black people are being treated wrong. We need to do something. If it had been Brady, a white face, other than LeBron, who you know some people like it don't, been different. Would it be different? Yes and no. Cause see, there have been you know. We've seen Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers has been um, out there. Cal uh, Corver as well. Um, he, he's been out there. But, see, the, the thing is what we've done way too many times is, is we've tried to have white folks legitimize our, our, our pain. And, see, that's the thing we've – I mean, I, like, I appreciate what Ernie Johnson did. And it's like, okay, great. Thank you. I pre- you know, I appreciate you, you. You basically say, I appreciate that, and 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 move on. What what a lot of times what winds up happening is that there's folks that feel like we have to you know have to have uh, white legitimacy and right. That, yeah. That's that, that's the point. See, that's that's what that's what um, Malcolm always you know talked about. You don't need white legitimacy. We we've been legitimate. All along, there's a, there's a there's a prevailing factor to me that's that's been going on with all of this. I don't want to go too far, but I think it needs to be said. For all the stuff that's been told, how, the, how evil we are and what have you. Now, now let's be honest. What the the, the white racist's biggest fear is that what they've been doing to us as black men, we will want to come back and do to them. But the thing South is, Africa. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. We, you know, forgive me. 
Leave us the fuck alone. Let us right. live. That's all we want. That's all we've ever asked for. It's to be allowed to live. If they're, you know, it's not about trying to go back up and kill Whitey. But see, when you yell the lie loud enough and you say it enough, people buy into it. You know, the you know, when Malcolm talked about having guns to protect yourself, oh, he's talking about going and killing white people. No, he's talking about killing white people that are trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, when you make that statement, you're giving yourself away because you're because in in you know a lot of these quote unquote liberal folks they you know they try to be blacker than us, and this was before miss uh miss rachel uh dozell you know came came you know came came into the into the forefront. You know mm-hmm. they. You know there is such a thing of where they want to try to be blacker than you, and right. you literally have to go next to them and say, "Stop before I hurt you," because no matter how you, no matter what you say or what you do or whatever, you were never going to experience black because at the end of the day, you will always be able to fall back on your whiteness, whether you want to or not. And most of the time, you're always going to want to because you won't want to deal with it. There's a movie from back in the day called Black Like Me, um, and it's and it's uh, based off of the book. Um, you know, James Whitmore uh, plays a white man who basically um, paints himself black uh, for a quote-unquote experiment. But see, he went through quote-unquote a day being black and experiencing being black. But he didn't really experience it because, see, end of the day, he's going to go back to be a white man. Now, right. you can't get more three prouder black men on this on this thread. But in that same vein, please, please don't try to insult my intelligence or whatever to try and say that you can identify, you can empathize, but you can never really identify. And no. see, that's the problem. And see, this should be on, on, on a slippery slope. When I hear some folks of the Jewish faith try to be brothers in arms with us, I always have to take a step back because I see the way they react to Minister Farrakhan. And see, a lot of times when the Minister Farrakhan and or the nation talks about the Jewish role in history, especially our history regarding slavery and other things, all of a sudden, oh, you're just like that Farrakhan guy. Why? Because I spoke on something that you're uncomfortable hearing about? Well, just like the Freedom Riders um you know, no investigation of those black boys that were there that got killed would have happened if it wasn't for those Jews up there. So my point is, is that they cared more about them than and finding them than it was those those black kids that actually got murdered and they well, found well, them in a swamp well, and everything well, else. Well, well, even now, well, even now, uh, right? 
with the shooting the other night in Kenosha. There was a there, one of the one of the kids that was one of the protesters that was shot was a was a was a young white man, and all you keep hearing about are hosannas from this from this guy. The other victims we don't know anything else about, but they made it a point. Hey. They made it a point to let you know. Oh, a white guy got killed. Oh, well maybe we need to investigate this a little bit more because because again, like you said. With 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 the with the Mississippi, you know, with the with the um, the, the hot summer of '64. Right. It took it took Schwerner and uh, it took the two white kids. Not 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 Mr. Cheney. He just happened to be the third person. But when the two white uh, freedom uh, freedom uh, writers were killed, all of a sudden, then the United States government got in, in got got involved. You know, remember, when those four babies were killed being bombed in the church, there was no national outrage. There wasn't, you know, nope. they, there was, you, know you didn't have that national outrage. But when Scherner and, and when, when, uh, when, 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 when Werner Cheney and uh, Goodman were killed, all of a sudden, well, the U.S. Well, well, maybe we need to do something here. See, right. when our blood is shed... It's like, oh well, that's just part of you know that's just part of you know the revolution. But when white blood is shed, oh, there needs to be an investigation. Something needs to be done here. Yeah, we're outraged, and actually, to take it a step further, when our blood is shed, it's like, well, they had it coming. Well, he had a knife. Well, if Rodney King would have stopped moving, you know, it's always the excuse. You know, if he had just stopped moving. They would stop beating the hell out of them, you know. Uh, and th- in this case, with in Wisconsin, well, he he was reaching for the knife with his back back. Even if it, Orlando, even if he was reaching for his knife, right? And we don't even know that's true. Even if he was, they're behind him. The cops got his shirt with his gun in his back. What is he gonna do with a knife and swing around? And he got bullets in his back. And I, I mean that that's that's the double standard. Meanwhile, as we know, days later at night, this seventeen year old white kid kills people and then walks down the street waving cops down to take them in. Waving them down. They're passing them by like well and he's got a he's got a long arm rifle semi automatic type of rifle on him, waving them down and it wasn't if it, if he had not approached a police officer in the car who told him to step back and he told his story, he wouldn't be in jail. And, oh, by the way, wasn't shot. He ain't dead. He ain't in nobody's hospital. He's incarcerated. And, and to Tony's point, he's they bringing him up on double homicide only because I believe, and T believes, I'm sure you believe, that one of those kids was white. And he was a militia, a Trump supporter. They gave him water, some of his friends. I mean, enough. Like, what What do you want? This is why we have these conversations and people go, well, you know, if they burn it down, stuff. what do you want, man? Well, you can see the double standard right there. What do you want? What do you want in this case? Well, we have no purpose. I mean, no purpose. We... 
the Supreme Court had to judge whether or not we, we had rights as a full person. The Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Why did I have to go there? Right. I mean, if you die right now and 100 dogs die, so look, if they find 100 dogs dead in Chicago, it's a crisis. Here you go. It's a crisis. Real talk. Real talk. It, it, it is a crisis, right? So, I mean, we don't value life. And, I mean, it's a condition. It's a condition that's been put on us. It, you know, everything about it, it we, we get conditioned from the time that we are two years old. We get conditioned. What's good, what's bad. A child that can't speak understands what's good and what's bad from TV, from books, from books. You know, we, it, it, a young Tamir Rice, again, I will always go back to him. Why is he not pissing his mother off doing stupid things like my knucklehead sitting right next to me does? You know, like, for having a, a toy gun in a park right. by two police officers in a car that rides up on him, you don't have you don't have training to talk to a little boy. Hey, hey, little boy, hey, little man. And Orlando, in that case, and Orlando, in that case, right? And in, in that case, they said, "Well, he looked older." I remember that he looked older. But, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It goes back to the training and conditioning of the mindset. You do not allow me to speak and defend myself and present myself to you as a person. You know, you That's do right. not allow it. You, you know, the, the the man is dead in New York for selling a Lucy cigarette. A man is yep. shot in, in a Walmart in the gun section for holding a gun without any bullets in an open carry state. Mm. In the open mm. carry they're in Oklahoma. We have when we talk to Chief Humphrey, when that cop is in a helicopter from three hundred feet above. He looks dangerous to me. Mm. He looks dangerous to me. Brianna Taylor, what? Even if she's mouthy, you don't have training a military cop. You are a former military veteran, and you can't talk. You can't, you know, finagle. And as Chief Humphrey said, you can't control the environment. And you're a military veteran of a black woman that's mouthy. Really? He, she deserves to die. You you can't control that environment. What, what, what do we teach our kids? Like, how, how do you, it's, it's the training. When you get folks that come back, and we have been in war since 1992, gentlemen, 1992, when we were in our young 20s and 30s, we, we have been in war. So where do these veterans come for jobs when they get out of the military? They go to the police department. They go to the police department. Last time I checked, with the exception of Kosovo, we have been in war in places of color. Yep. Yep. You're right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think, too, uh, just going back to, to the both of you, you could comment on law and order, 
Again, it go. It's all designed. See what we don't understand. Some of us, as our people, don't get because, as T says, do the research. It's right there. What we don't get is that the redlining continues. They put us in these boxes in these neighborhoods. If we're lucky to get out of there, um, that we still could be stopped like the professor in Boston and all these other places. But they put us in these red line and they dump bad police in these areas and these policies. And they say, this is how you keep your Negroes in line. This is what you do. If they get out of line, let's push law and order. Right? We don't want them to vote. We don't want them to have a conscience. We want them to live like cockroaches and kill themselves or we'll kill them for for you. And now, you know, um, you know, you have an adored my nieces they they're going after women now. They're killing women. Girls. Like it's like it's going out of style. Like the numbers are going up. And 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 we don't seem to get it. We have these Tim Scotts from South Carolina coming up there, you know, praising the president. I mean, are you serious? And we just don't get it. And and part of it is, even as black people never faced those things and grew up in the hood, but the other part of it is having no no morality, no self-conscious. You, you can't tell me you can look yourself in the mirror and care about your people. And that, that T in Orlando is part of the problem. Like, all of these things are still illegal. They're on the books. And they get away with it because either we're not engaged, not informed, naive, or we just don't give a damn. All of the above. <clears throat> All of the above. Yep. Fortunately, but it's, it's you know it's look. It's you know you have to you know you have to educate you know if nothing else during this time of Corona when we literally and figuratively had more you know who are given, in a sense, more time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 